All right, so hello. My name is Daniel Isafano. I am from New York. As you could probably, now you could probably pronounce my last name. Okay. When I was about in third grade, I discovered the game. Well, really, my father was coaching my older brother, and I was more into soccer. And in third grade, I decided to feel a bit of an interest. And at the time, I was a big Arizona Cardinals fan. I my first ever football. Uh, how do I describe it? The one who I ever looked up to was Larry Fitzgerald on the Arizona Cardinals, who is still playing right now, and he's going into his 16th season. God bless that man. He's one of the most humbled and professional football players you could ever meet, and one of the nicest, and has broken many records. So I've dedicated many years to the game. I played a bit of it in Pop Warner, but then I stopped. I went back to soccer, and then when I was in eighth grade, my older brother was a captain of his high school football team, and it inspired me to go back and play because my older brother was a team captain. My father was a star athlete as well. He was a star running back in his day, and my grandfather was a stud lineman, a big big guy. He was a star lineman in New York City at his high school, and his father, my great-grandfather, played in the 30s and, mid and early 40s. So to do a time frame, my father played in the 70s, my grandfather played in the 50s, and then his father, my great-grandfather, played in the late 30s and, four and early 40s. I played it from 8th grade all the way to my senior year of high school, which is 12th grade here, in case you don't know. I don't know how the high school system is in Australia. And I played a lot of it, and I dedicated so much time to it. I was in much better shape. I started weightlifting. I was getting stronger, you name it. I was very grateful. I was fortunate to start and be a captain my senior year with two other uh, of my teammates, so tri-captains, and I had a lot of fun, and I enjoyed the game very much. The amount of discipline you learn, uh, overcoming adversity, time management skills, a lot of things you take from life or from the game you use in life, I should say. And I had a great, I had a great coaching staff, so I really enjoyed, and I, I enjoyed a lot of them, and I still talk to him to this day, which is great. And I'm currently transferring to a university, which I'll be playing football again, which is very exciting. So right now, I'm going to be working out again more and earning my spot to become a starting uh, guard, hopefully. I was a center in high school, and so was my older brother. My older brother was a center guard. He would switch defensive end or nose tackle, and that was actually the same thing as me. I would either be a defensive end on defense, nose tackle, or a defensive tackle, or a, a guard, or a center, and it was great. I've, I played in the trenches, and I and I loved it very much. It's kind of crazy, because you know, normally people want to be the star backs, but maybe one play, if I get lucky in college, maybe I'll go in as a fullback or a tight end, just to get one touchdown in my life. <laughs> But the game, everything about it, it's like no other. The history about it is just unique, especially off-brand from rugby, which rugby is very popular in Australia. And, you know, I just, I love the game so much, and I hope one day that concussions could be eliminated and injuries and people could just play it full throttle. So the game about it and everything, I love it, the culture and everything about it. Uh, I'm a New York Giants fan, and I also support the Tampa Bay Buccaneers because I have a friend who plays on the Buccaneers and is currently on the starting roster. So I always dedicate time to wishing him luck and wishing him the best of luck. That's another story if I'm ever on a podcast. That I think you'll very find intriguing if I tell you this story. Um, but other than that, back to this. But I very much love the game. I love everything about it. The play sequences, the play calls, the mental game. I mean, my coaches would always say it's 80% mental, 20% physical. It's like a game of chess. You're just trying to outsmart the opposing team in film. I mean, you dedicate so much time to it. It's just It's a sport like no other. And I love it very much. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, and everybody in between, welcome down to another episode of the Jake Botel Football Experience. A pleasure to have your company on this episode. And thank you to Daniel for sending in his football story. You heard his story at the top of the episode there. Very much appreciate that, Daniel, and um, looking forward to hearing about and following your journey 
as you venture further into college athletics. If you would like to contribute your football story, the origins of your fandom, how you got involved, why you love the sport, would love to hear from you. And use those recordings to open the episodes, to expand everyone's mind to the different people that follow and are involved in this sport from all around the world. You can do that by recording an audio clip of yourself telling the story just on your phone, three to five minutes max. If you can get it in a you know, couple of minutes, that's good too. But yeah, don't go any longer than sort of five minutes. Send that to the JBFE at gmail.com. That's the word the JBFE at gmail.com. Email those in. Would love to hear from you and have your story featured on future episodes. So today's episode we're going to get into talking about week three of the XFL, the results and performances from that. We'll travel to Mexico to talk about my first experience watching Liga de Football Americano Profesional. Don't laugh at my pronunciation. I'm, I'm really trying, okay? <laughs> so we'll talk about that and specifically the team I follow that I started following this weekend, Fundidores Monterrey. Love that my Australian accent comes in at the end. Fundidores sounds really good. And then I go, Monterrey. It's fantastic. Anyway, we'll talk about that and maybe even touch a little bit on the NFL Combine. But without further ado, let's get into it. The JBFE. Thanks for listening. So we'll start with the results from week three of the XFL. Um, We had the New York Guardians travelling into the Hawk Dome. The Hawk Nest. The Hawk Hut. I don't know. There's probably an official name for it. But anyway, it's a dome stadium and it was full of Battle Hawks fans who were caca-ing loudly. And the New York Guardians lost 29 to 8 on the uh, 29 to 9 on the road uh, the DC defenders went down to LA to play the Wildcats and got walloped 39 to 9 Houston on the road in Tampa defeated the Vipers defanged the Vipers 34 to 27 close game actually in parts then you had the Dallas Renegades Travelling into Seattle. Another raucous crowd in Seattle. The Renegades getting the job done over the Dragons. Slaying the Dragons. <laughs> uh, 24 to 12. Let's sink our football fangs into these results just a little bit more. We'll start with the Guardians. My New York Guardians. You know, I'm so... Um, You know, this was a week really in which life kicked me in the balls about my decisions to follow the New York Guardians um, over the LA Wildcats, as you know, if you've listened to the podcast before. And presumably you have. If not, welcome. Pleasure to have you company, newbies. Hope you become long-time listeners of the JBFE. But I started my XFL life as a fresh LA Wildcat tadpole and then rapidly developed into a fully-fledged frog that supported the New York Guardians. Look, basically, jumped ship on the Wildcats very early on. Um, Silly reason, but I despise their away uniform, and I just find it hard to cheer for a team whose uniform looks like uh, vomit, basically. And I'm talking specifically about the away jersey here, because the home black jersey is probably my favourite jersey 
in the entirety of the XFL. If we're being real here, Wildcats home jersey, number one for me. Um, so yeah, life kicked me in the gonads here, the, the football gods, by giving me so much promise in week one when the Guardians beat the Tampa Bay Vipers handily and have since scored a combined total of like 12 points in two games and been absolutely thumped by the DC defenders and now by the Battle Hawks. The LA Wildcats looked really good this week. But anyway, Guardians fans, let's stay hashtag on duty. The Guardians go into the Dome and basically get cacored to death. Um, this was never really close. A strange game in a way if you, if you would just, if, if you disregarded the scoreboard, which, you know, that's a pretty dangerous thing to do in football. Um, but, you know, you look at some of the statistics from the box score, the, the Guardians actually outgained the Battle Hawks, 307 yards to 273. Um, one of their big problems was they converted only two of 10 third downs, while the Battle Hawks converted seven of 14. The Guardians actually had more yards per play than the Battle Hawks, gaining 5.6 yards per play to the Battle Hawks 4.8 penalties. Massive killer for the Guardians. And, and this is becoming a hallmark of this team is an absolute lack of any sort of recognisable discipline. They committed 12 penalties for a total of 86 yards while St. Louis... Six penalties for 20 yards. <sighs> Depressing result, really, to talk about. It was a hard watch. It was a very hard watch. Um, the running game was positive for the Guardians. 112 yards on the ground, with Cook and Victor each having 50 yards at an average of just over five yards per carry. The quarterback situation was a raging dumpster fire um, for the most part. Matt McGloin completed 8 of 11 passes for 84 yards at 7.6 yards per attempt, no touchdowns, one interception, and a quarterback rating of 56.6. Then you had Marquise Williams, 7 of 15, so less than half of his passes, 94 yards at 6.3 yards per attempt, no touchdowns, no interceptions, a quarterback rating of 67.1. Then you had Luis Perez come in, who completed 4 of 5 for 39 yards, 7.8 yards per attempt, completed a touchdown pass, no interceptions for a quarterback rating of 138.8. I'll get back to the New York Guardians quarterback battle Oh, let's just do it now. That's probably easier. Um, so, McGloin looked ineffective again. Marquise Williams. Um, I mean, it could be different if you start Williams and he gets a chance from the beginning of the game. But, you know, again, he, he completed less than 50% of his passes um, and, you know, was only going at 6.3 yards per attempt, which was, you know, a good yard and a half below McGloin. And Perez. Perez came in and completed four of five. Now, those were get the ball in your hand and get it out quick. You know, Perez was not asked to make, you know, a bunch of deep, even sort of, you know, it was short passes. It wasn't even intermediate or long. Um, so... And my recollection of Perez from his Birmingham Iron days was that was sort of what it was. It was short to intermediate, and any sort of deep passing was was fairly non-existent. Um, now I could be wrong. I'd have to go back and watch again. But but my memory of it was that he was effective at running that sort of short, uh, quick game. And when you asked him to attack the field vertically, things got a bit dicey, um, which sort of, for me, feels the same with McGloin. You know, at least with Williams, you do get that added athleticism, but then, may, you know, do you lose something in the, in the accuracy department? It's a, it's a really interesting one. 
Uh, and you can see how this season could quickly spiral out of control. It is spiraling out of control for the Guardians. And just basic things like discipline, you know, lacking. I started a, uh, a poll ahead of the Battle Hawks game asking Guardians fans um, who they would prefer to have at quarterback to face St. Louis. And we had Mar- uh, a total of 216 votes. Marquise Williams had 104. There's some building site activity going on next door, so I hope that hammering isn't uh, affecting your experience too much. Um, you had Marquise Williams with 104 votes. He gained 48% of the votes in that poll. McGloin, 71, with, which equates for 32% of the vote. And Luis Perez had 41, which totaled just 18% of that vote. So that was asking fans who they wanted to see take on the Battle Hawks. Now, in the wake of that game, I put up another poll saying, well, who do you now want to see at quarterback starting against the Wildcats in week four? This time we had 272 total votes. Luis Perez totaled the most with 225 out of 272 total votes. So he accounted for 82% of the votes. It's a 64% jump for him, garnering an extra 184 votes this time around. Marquise Williams, just 29 of the 272 total votes, which equates to about 10% of the vote. And Matt McGloin, 18 votes out of 272, accounting for just 6% of votes for preferred quarterback to take on the Wildcats. So, look, I think it's interesting, you know... you're probably not losing anything from giving Perez a go, but we, what we saw was a really, really limited sample size. Um, and, you know, again, Marquise Williams came in to relieve an injured uh, Matt McGloin. He's come in in relief in other games where the game is in the midst of spiralling out of control. Perez came in when the game was over, essentially and led that touchdown drive. Now, like I said, he made some nice short throws. But I don't know that I don't know that that's a realistic um representation of what, of of what you're going to get. Um because again, well, it's a representation of what you'll get in the short passing game. But what the Guardians need is someone who can accurately attack deeper routes. Um and make those good decisions. And, and the athleticism, I still think, is a big thing. I think that would be a strength of having Marquise Williams start, even if you lose some accuracy in the passing game. His athleticism is far superior to Perez or McGloin. I think I would be leaning to, to giving Williams a go as a starter to see what he can do with a, with a blank slate. Just a quick note, Jordan Tamu... Not spectacular. 12 of 18 for 119 yards. 6.6 yards per attempt. No touchdowns, no interceptions. And three rushes for 14 yards on the ground. He didn't have to do anything spectacular. Now, he's been in the top three quarterbacks so far this season. Didn't have to do much uh, this week against the Guardians. And Jones, their running back, 95 yards from 15 rushes and a touchdown. I believe that was Russia's. Yes. So we'll move on to DC going into LA to take on the Wildcats. Josh Johnson looked like fourth quarter Josh Johnson from last week uh, when he came in for his first start of the season. He completed 18 of 25 for 278 yards, three touchdowns, no interceptions, averaging 11.1 yards per attempt. He had weapons in McBride, who had five receptions for 109 yards and two touchdowns. And Nelson Spruce continues his good year at tight end, three catches for 75 yards. It was Stevens and Springs and Tocho on defense. Hope I got that last name right. Uh, Two interceptions for Stevens, one for Springs and one for Tocho. Tocho. And he also had a forced fumble as they laid the hurt on Cardale Jones, and Jones sort of laid the hurt on himself a bit in the uh, 
39-9 loss for the defenders. Uh, Cardell Jones finishes his day with 13 of 26 for 103 yards, averaging just four yards per attempt, no touchdown passes, four interceptions. He made use of Nick Brosette on the ground, eight rushes for 75 yards, 9.4 yards on the ground average and a touchdown. Now, there were a couple of interceptions for Jones that were just good plays from the Wildcats defense, but there were a couple where I do not know who he was throwing to. And I may have jinxed Cardell Jones last week when I said that, um, you know, watching him the first few weeks of this season has been what I feel like watching Jameis Winston should be like. Fun, entertaining, productive. And this week, it was like watching what Jameis Winston is actually like to watch. A turnover machine, a lot of the time. So the defenders get walloped. 39-9 to by the Wildcats. And I thought there were signs last week from LA uh, with their starting quarterback, Josh Johnson, back in the fray to lead the attack. They... They sort of were a bit stunted on offense in the first half last week, but they heated up as the game went on and Josh Johnson found his rhythm. And it looks like that rhythm uh, continued this week for the Wildcats. So I'm really interested to see how this offense develops moving forward. He clearly has weapons in McBride and Spruce. So it'll be interesting to see how they carry that form on now, L.A., the Houston Roughnecks travelled into Tampa Bay to take on the Vipers. The Roughnecks coming away with a 34-27 victory. The Vipers were close for a lot of the day, but never truly threatened. PJ Walker jumps to the top of the QB ratings with another glittering performance, 24 of 36 for 306 yards, 8.5 yards per attempt, three touchdowns, no interceptions. He combined that with four rushes for 34 yards on the ground at 8.5 yards per rush and a touchdown. So he accounts for four total touchdowns. Walker has been one of the stars of the league, and you can imagine that he will get an opportunity on an NFL uh roster to start training camp. Now, what he can make of that opportunity remains to be seen, uh, but he's certainly tearing up the XFL at the present time and has, has jumped over Cardell Jones in my quarterback rankings. He's been so very consistent. Uh, it was Butler on the ground for the Roughnecks, seven carries for 72 yards, averaging 10.3 yards per carry. Phillips in the receiving game, eight catches for 194 yards and three touchdowns. Now, interestingly, you note on Tampa Bay, their offensive numbers have not been awful, but it's been a lack of finish that's really hurt them uh, a lot of the time. Uh, it was Joey Two Wallets uh, from In the Car with Joey Two Wallets who raised this point about Tampa Bay that their offensive yardage and, and production in, in that sense has actually been pretty good across the first three weeks of the season. Um, they gained 300-plus uh, yards this week. Uh, and, and, yeah, that hasn't really been the issue. It's, it's been finishing off um, that's been a real issue for Tampa Bay. Uh, Taylor Cornelius completed... Taylor? Um, Cornelius completed 16 of 31 for 193 yards, 6.2 yards per attempt, one touchdown, one interception. They also had Flowers, who completed four of six for 51 yards, 8.5 yards per attempt, no touchdowns, no interceptions. Their coach after the game said he would have liked to get Flowers involved more. Not sure why he did if he wanted to. Um, yeah, not sure why he didn't actually get that done then, uh, if that was what he wanted to do. So, yeah, Tampa Bay... Go to zero and three. The Roughnecks move to three and zero. PJ Walker continues to look a strong candidate for the league's first MVP, and to have earned himself another shot at making an NFL roster come training camp time. The final game, Dallas. The Renegades travelled into Seattle. Another good Dragons home crowd. 
The numbers were a little down on last week, but they still brought the noise. And, you know, when we talk about a little bit down, you know, you're talking maybe a couple of thousand down. But they're still up at that 27, 28,000 mark, which is, which is much higher than most, most of the league, um, aside from the Battle Hawks. Seattle actually had the lead, 12-6 to six at the half, but then went scoreless in the second half of the game as Dallas racked up 18 straight points. Landry Jones completed 30 of 41 for 274 yards, 6.7 yards per attempt, three touchdowns and two interceptions. Artis Payne was a weapon for Dallas, totaling 110 yards combined, 13 carries for 80 yards on the ground, six receptions for 30 yards through the air. It was also Parham, five receptions for 101 yards two touchdowns, averaging 20.2 yards per reception. For Seattle, it was uh, Brandon Silvers, their quarterback, 21 of 34 for 204 yards, six yards per attempt, two touchdowns, one interception. And Prohl in the air, six catches, 81 yards, and a touchdown. Again, Seattle was able to, uh, sort of a little bit like Tampa Bay in the sense that Seattle have been able to move the ball pretty well in the first three weeks. The one week that they didn't, I think they only had 190-odd yards against the Vipers, they won that game. So uh, they sort of do... Seattle and Tampa Bay make me... They're similar in my mind in that they can move the ball. They they, they can gain yards. It's finishing off drives that's the issue um, for both of these teams. It's the polish... uh, and killer instinct to actually get points off drives. But they've had no problem actually moving the football uh, for the most part. And Dallas, to me, seemed like a bit of a sleeper team. A team that's loaded with lots of talent, lots of weapons at different positions. What It hasn't all clicked for them yet. But they've still managed to get to a 2-1 and one record. So this is a team that are managing to win despite not looking entirely sharp across the first three weeks. So you just wonder if things click with Jones and weapons like Artis Payne, whether this is a team that can really turn it on and and challenge um, the defenders and the Roughnecks and the Battlehawks for top positioning come playoff time. Really enjoying the XFL. Glad that the the crowds are staying pretty consistent. Uh, I thought St. Louis's first game, the Battle Hawks, it was so good to see such a raucous home crowd for them and and hopefully their numbers only grow from that. Uh, It's really nice to see some of these teams garnering really vocal home support and, and hopefully that is just something that grows because I think the XFL is doing some really good things that the the rules that they've created, you know, tweaks to like the kickoff and the the play clock, the two minute drill, uh, you know, the the, the five second uh, sort of amnesty you get once the ball is positioned. I really like that. It opens up the playbook and the communication, the access we have to players. There is so much to like about the XFL so far. But they're my thoughts on the results from week three and um, hope your team is doing well. And even if they aren't, I hope you're enjoying it like I am because regardless of the fact that the Guardians have been really uncompetitive two out of three weeks, I'm still really enjoying the experience. It's, uh, it's a really fun league to follow. <laughs> All right, so next up, I wanted to share with you another new football experience um, that I had this last weekend. Um, I spoke on the previous episode about going back and watching some Canadian football last week and a newfound team in the Hamilton Tiger Cats in that competition. Well, this week... So I've become part of an online group of international fans of football and through that have just had my eyes open to all these other 
professional and semi-professional leagues, excuse me, uh, from around the world. And this weekend had my eyes drawn to the LFA. And again, excuse my pronunciation, but it is the Liga de Football Americano Profesional. The sport of American football, quote unquote, in Mexico. Uh, There was another guy in the group who was sharing the, the links that they um, they live stream a lot of these games on their Facebook official Facebook page, uh, YouTube, etc. And I thought, oh well, why not? I'll have a look at that. The Guardians are getting flogged anyway in the XFL. I'll I'll flick on some of this as well. So I had two screens going. I had the XFL on the on the main TV, and then I had the LFA action on my computer. And so I watched a little of Mexicas versus Osos and then tuned into the end of Condors versus Arteleros. And then I ended up picking a side. I looked up the competition. Um, th- that's what I'll talk about first. So I, f- I, I thought, well, I want to pick a side to support. I really liked what I saw in the first, the parts of the first two games that I sort of caught bits and pieces of. Discovered that the league was founded in 2016, so it's only a spring chicken in that sense. Uh, the, I'm assuming everywhere else has that expression and that's not an Australianism. A spring chicken, I assume you have that in other countries. Anyway, I never know what relates because, you know, I'll say, oh, that coach needs to be sacked. And Americans think that I mean something else when I'm talking about football. Fired is the term I've realized I need to use um, to appeal to the broader audience, not just sacked. It'd be great if the perception was that when we sacked someone over here that what we're really talking about is talking about is crunching them in a massive tackle. Yeah, I got sacked at work today. Anyway, so the LFA was founded in 2016. It's a spring league. The Condors won the most recent incarnation uh, in 2019. They won the title. It was the Myers who had won... Uh, They were the most successful team. They had won two titles so far in 2016 and 2017. Another side, the Raptors, have been to three of the four title games, but unfortunately lost all three. Uh, So these are the teams. It's comprised of nine teams, though this year there's only eight because the Myers are on uh, on a sabbatical. They're returning in 2021. So um, you've got... The Dinos, so there's two divisions. There's the North and the Central. Now, the North Division has the Dinos from Saltillo. Uh, Again, if you're laughing at my pronunciation, just, you know, back right off. I don't want to be sitting here and be pronounced the thing as, oh, it's Saltillo, Uh, the Saltillo Dinos. My ambition is to pronounce things correctly, and I am attempting to do that with the help of many YouTube videos. So you've got in the north, you've got Saltillo, who are the dinos. You've got Fundidores Monterrey, which is the team I support, uh, which is because of their colours being quite like the Pittsburgh Steelers. They've got the gold and black, steel industry background, so I support them. Then you've got the Pineros uh, from Querétaro, uh, and the Raptors from Nocalpan. Then in the central division, it's the Arteleros, and they're from Puebla City, the Condors from Mexico City, the Mexicas from Mexico City, and then Osos, who are from Toluca. So, 
And obviously then the Mayas, who are also from Mexico City, but as I said, they're on a break at the moment until 2021. So really, really enjoyed watching my first live game, which is a live-streamed full match between Fundidores and Pineros. The Fundidores won 23-2-3, a wild game. Lots of turnovers. Um, Santana, who's the quarterback for Fundidores, um, <laughs> threw an interception early on that was then fumbled by the defense, picked up by the offense, and returned for a touchdown. Um, I really enjoyed watching Santana play quarterback. He's only a, a sort of a short in stature, but sort of fast twitch. Um, has an accurate arm, uh, made a lot of pinpoint passes, uh, even on the run. And that was something that I really noticed about him. He was quite mobile and able to get out of the pocket and then even deliver with power from, from different arm angles and from different sorts of th- you know, off-platform throws. Had a nice rushing touchdown um, and made several nice plays with his legs. But yeah, the, the arm strength for, for a smaller quarterback, I was really impressed with his arm strength throwing off-platform, you know, making those sideline throws um, off-platform was, was really impressive. So, the, uh, so Fundidores won that game 23-3. to They moved to 2-1, and which is pretty exciting. Um, I say as a as a as a new fan, but having looked at their record in the three years they've been involved, they went two and five in their first year, two and five in their second year, and three and five last season. So to start two and one is pretty exciting, and they play Mexicas this week. Really hoping they can go three and one and start challenging. Um, for a playoff spot, that would be pretty cool if they could make playoffs in the first season that I've followed. Um, I'll give you the quick run-through of results. So, Mexicas lost 15-16 to against Osos. The Dinos beat the Raptors 30-29 to in the Jurassic Clash. What a, what a titanic matchup. Now, I'm pretty sure uh, from the highlights I watched, the Raptors got a touchdown and just needed to kick the extra point to take this game to overtime, but the Dinos managed to block that extra point, thus winning 30-29. to 29. The Condors, the reigning champions, defeated Arteleros 29-18, to 18, and obviously Fundidores beat Pineros 23-3. to 3. And now look ahead. To Fundidores traveling to play Mexicas. Uh, I believe it's advertised as being twen- the, on the 28th of February at 8:30 p.m. Um, yeah, Mexico time. So I think it will be the 29th for me here in Australia, and probably mid-morning to to midday, which will be nice. I'll be able to see that game and follow along. One one cool thing as well in terms of not just expanding my football horizons, but expanding my life horizons in general. Uh, I've decided to use this as an opportunity to try and learn some Spanish uh, because all the commentary, obviously, is in Spanish. And I've I've been thinking about learning Spanish for a little while. I've I've learned some Norwegian um, and Spanish is also another language that I would like to learn. And so I'm using this as an excuse and an opportunity to learn so I can understand more of the commentary, watch more of their sort of preview shows and that sort of thing that they have on Facebook Live. Uh, I use an app. If anyone else is interested in learning languages, and some of you may already use this, and I am in no way paid to advertise this. I am in no way asked to advertise this. It's just something I thought I'd share from my own personal experience. But the app is called Duolingo. Um, and it's a free app that uh, is basically just a language learning app you can download on your phone. It's got some nice customizable lessons. At, it's not just reading um, and typing, it also uses your microphone to, you know, to ask you to say things uh, in the other language. I've really liked it. I've been learning Norwegian for about 
the better part of two years and now I've switched over I've been doing the last three or four days since I watched the LFA I've been learning some Spanish and it's really exciting it's a really fun way to, to learn a new skill and enjoy football so you know when people say you're wasting your life watching football tell them to think again because there's actually all sorts of ways in which football allows you to expand your horizons and expand your social circle and your human interaction. I've had some great conversations in this international um, Facebook group that's a, a, a part of a football world. They've got a website. You should go and check that out. They do great coverage of all types of football, NFL and college, LFA, CFL, uh, XFL, just to name a few. Um, and they've got live weekly shows that they do. So a football world, if you Google search that, you should be able to find the website and uh, they've got social media and all that sort of thing. Um, I'll try and do a more detailed plug at some point on a later podcast when I type some info up um, in my notes. But it's been really nice. I've been interacting with some other fans uh, from Mexico, um, which has been... yeah. It's funny, I, on, a, on a life note, I had sort of become a little bit jaded about the internet and the way people behave on it. But being a part of this group has been really, uh, it's a good reminder about the goodness in humans and how we can come together over you know, common passions, and common goals and enjoyments, the common passion here being football. Uh, and... You know, so many of these people are football freaks like me who it doesn't matter what the league is. You know, so many of these people are like me. They have a team that they support in the NFL. They have a team that they support in the XFL and the CFL and LFA and college. And, you know, it's really a love of the sport more than the love of any one team that draws people into this this circle. And it's been really nice. I've really enjoyed the interactions and... Yeah, if you're one of those people from that group who's listening, yeah, thanks for making it such an amazing group because it is a really nice place to chat back and forth about football and share jokes and that sort of thing. And and it's a nice mix of entertainment and serious football conversation as well. So, yeah, but anyway, that's some of my thoughts about Liga de Football Americano Profesional. Mock me for my pronunciation. Go ahead. So just a really brief note on the NFL Combine that's it's already underway, but the, uh, the televised segment will begin in a few days where we get to see people jump and run and catch and then jump and run and catch and do drills with cones, etc. Um, yeah, I'm sure there's a lot to be gained from the combine. Otherwise, they wouldn't do it, right? Uh, <laughs> no, I, I really do think there is. You know, there are some good things. But I, I also think, you know, you've really got to take all of this stuff with a grain of salt too because, you know, not everything that you're going to see every player do is highly applicable to that player at that position. For instance, I think that, you know, the 40 time of running backs. How often in the NFL does a running back get to run in a straight line for 40 yards? You know, I think that's one that, yeah, obviously it's nice if they're exceptionally quick in open space. And they have that, you know, straight line run. But, you know, for a running back, you're going to be looking more closely at things like, you know, uh, drills that demonstrate their agility, their side-to-side movement, those sorts of things. Their power to break tackles, to push guys over, to run through contact. Um, Yeah, I think sometimes we can get caught up on on looking at guys and going, oh well, he only ran a, you know, a four seven in the forty, at running back. It's like, well, he could still be an incredibly successful running back. Um, 
there's so much that goes into it. And again, you know, it's it's an it's an awareness thing. As long as we're we're aware when we watch things like the combine that it's not the be all and end all, and uh, sometimes guys test poorly and they turn into excellent players, and sometimes they test excellently and are drafted high and then have poor careers. So there is so much that goes into it. Um, but I'll be interested to watch. Just a funny story, I guess. Uh, yeah, that's the thing. I will be watching. I'll definitely be watching. It's entertaining, and, and it is a chance, too, to start familiarising yourself with different players you might not have got to see through college. Um, there are a lot of familiar names, because I watched more college football this season than I have in previous years. Um, but it's going to be really... Yeah, it's, gonna, it's a nice opportunity to look at guys, too, that I haven't heard as much about. Some of those sleeper hit kind of guys. The one th- the thing I found funny was Joe Burrow getting his hands measured and, you know, oh, he's got small hands and he put out the tweet saying, you know, he's announcing his retirement because he got told that his tiny hands were going to, you know, not be able to secure the football. Um, so, you know, Joe baby hands Burrow, you know, maybe slipping now down into the second round. Um, all I could think of was Austin Powers' small hands, uh, quote. <laughs> I don't know, hand size and so- size in general. I think it's funny, you know, you look in the NFL at the moment, guys like Russell Wilson, even to an extent, um, Baker Mayfield, I believe, copped some criticism about his his height. Look at Kyler Murray. I think we're going to see... You know, it's interesting because I've heard on some scouting podcasts um, some talk about how there's less high-end offensive line talent coming out of the college game these days. Now, I can't confirm that because I'm... I can't say that I've scouted every single college offensive lineman. I don't know what's coming out of the high schools, etc. But if we operate on that assumption that that is correct, there is less high-end offensive line talent coming out of college and into the NFL, then that means less quality offensive lines to protect pocket-passing quarterbacks. Now I think you see this in the XFL and we've kind of beat you know we've we've sort of flogged this to death that if you know one way you can compensate in the XFL for weaker offensive line play especially early in the season as the offensive line builds its synchronicity and its its camaraderie and and, and its its um its unity is to have a mobile quarterback you look at a guy like PJ Walker who can move around, who can escape the pocket, who can make plays inside or outside of the pocket. And you sort of think that in the NFL, if we're going to see less quality offensive linemen coming through, then you're going to be looking more and more for guys who can overcome that for you at quarterback. Look at the sorts of plays Russell Wilson can make when the line breaks down. The plays that Kyler Murray can make, Lamar Jackson, Patrick Mahomes. Again, you don't. When, when we talk about mobile quarterbacks, it's not just the Lamar Jackson style athletes. It's also the Patrick Mahomes style athletes who just have enough athleticism to evade pressure, to escape danger, and keep a play alive. You don't have to be a legitimate, you know, rushing quarterback to be regarded as a mobile quarterback. So I just wonder, you know, that if we, you know, I think we're already seeing alterations happening uh, to the framework that we, that we measure top-end quarterback talent from. You know, you don't have to be six foot plus and a statue in the pocket. You know, there's, there's smaller guys making their way into the league now. Guys who can throw at different arm angles and, and off-platform. 
I think it's, it's, it's an exciting time to watch the league. Actually, it was one of the things I really enjoyed about watching Santana quarterback in the LFA for Fundidores was the fact that he was a smaller, fast-twitch kind of guy. Really liked it. It's, you're not just watching a, a six-foot-plus statue in the pocket. He's an exciting athlete to watch, and I think we're going to see more of those exciting athletes make their way into the NFL, which is really cool. The diver- a diversity of skill sets just makes the sport infinitely more interesting to watch, in my opinion. I'd be interested to hear from people about what they think in regards to that. Do you think we will get more athletic quarterbacks, more mobile quarterbacks coming into the NFL given the success of guys like Patrick Mahomes, given the success of guys like Lamar Jackson, Russell Wilson, you know, he's done it now for, a, for an extended period of time. I think we'll see more improvement out of Kyler Murray this year. The guy won, uh, was it Rookie of the Year or... Yeah, I believe he won Rookie of the Year. He didn't win Offensive Player of the Year, did he? I wish I had that in front of me. But anyway, he won an award in his first year. Point being, would love to hear from you about what you think of that. And it'll be interesting to watch the different quarterbacks in this combine and see how they test and then where they go in the draft. Are we going to see the traditional skills continue to be valued And even if we do, will we see the, the you know, additional value placed on different skills that may not have been as valued in the past? Be interesting to see. Anyway, enjoy the combine and uh, you know, see if your team, your team can pick up uh, baby hands Joe Burrow in the uh, second or third round now that he's going to uh, plummet. Well, that's all I've got time for on this episode of the JBFE. Thanks so much for listening in from wherever you listened in from. If you would like to get in touch to share your football story, as I said off the top of the episode, uh, or to share a perspective of any kind, email me at thejbfe at gmail.com. That's the word the jbfe at gmail.com you can also follow me on facebook and instagram get in contact always happy to hear from other football fans about the fantastic game of football hashtag worldwide well let's leave it there until next time you've been great i have been reasonable It's the JBFE. Thanks so much for listening.